Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. The other one's nature. So businesses understanding their impact on nature and how they can be more restorative to nature. Yep. Thinking about uh, degradation, restoration. And circular economy, of course, is another one. So maybe people don't know what that is, but we currently have a linear economy where you take something, you buy something, you use it, you throw it out. And we can't continue to do that because we're going to run out of stuff. It's Too much waste, too too much much stuff. Landfill, we want to get stuff out of landfill. So we're moving much more towards a circular economy, which is keeping materials at their highest value for as long as possible. Welcome back to another action-packed episode of Humans of Purpose. First off, a big thanks to our season sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support. A big thanks also to Leadership Victoria as we enter the final episode of our sponsored run together. We've loved having their support to help showcase some amazing leaders and purposeful leadership development opportunities. If you haven't done so already, check out Leadership Victoria's amazing programs, events, and read about the wonderful impact they're having developing purposeful leaders right here in Victoria. More on that linked in our show notes. Our Milestone 300th episode celebration is fast approaching, which will be an in-person event on Friday night, the 22nd of September, including food and drinks, a DJ set, and all the Ritz-Carlton of co-work spaces, the Commons Cremorne rooftop overlooking Melbourne. If you want to join us, we've got just a handful of tickets left, so make haste and hit the Eventbrite link in our show notes to register. This week, I'm thrilled to bring you my conversation with Kate Dundas, who has recently joined the United Nations Global Compact Network Australia as Executive Director. The UNGC Network Australia are mobilising Australia's leading businesses to create a sustainable future and find opportunities to impact our world for good. Kate has had an amazingly diverse career journey to date that you'll hear all about in this podcast, grounded in a passionate connection to the circular economy and moving society towards shared space conversations and stewardship models. Kate is one of the most fun, creative and engaging people and leaders I've met and had on the podcast. She's done so much across so many interesting areas, including being a regular contributor on Triple R and community radio and starting a communal farming movement too. Stick around till the end of the episode to hear about Kate's best interactions with politicians and media personalities. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kate as much as I did. Kate, great to be with you. I feel like the last time we were together, um, I had a confused seating at a big uh, social function, which I don't love, but uh, you were very kind to me and just great to um, meet you at that uh, opportune moment. Yeah, it was a shame you left before dessert. Wow, just a bit of a snipe to, be, to kick off the conversation. Yeah, well, look, um, yeah, no, I've got no comeback. Was it good? It was. It was very dense and delicious. Chocolate, <laughs> some kind of dense chocolate mousse. <laughs> My favourite part of all of that was like our conversation where you said, oh, you said, oh, you, can, you don't even save me dessert. Then I messaged you saying, how's dessert? You're awesome. <laughs> that was like the end of the conversation. <laughs> but I feel like we had like a really good sort of like early natural connection just around, you know, your work at UNGC, my sort of history in sort of uh, massive human rights law and sort of focus in that area and obviously a love of um, business for purpose and impact. So 
I know we're going to have a good conversation. And I also know and I'm a bit intimidated to be speaking to a former community radio and triple R pro. So, wow. Yeah, not so much of the pro, but yes, community <laughs> radio for four years, been in the apocalypse. And there's still many podcasts out there if anyone wants to, you know, go back into the archives. Yeah, you should and, do it. Yeah. There's nothing like transporting yourself to 2018 and hearing about uh, like fears around Trump that came true. <laughs> I mean, many of that stuff's come true, actually. <laughs> a lot of it has. Yes. Have you listened back? No, I can't. Oh, I've, you know, I've never yeah. listened to anything I've ever done before, yeah. ever. Yeah. I just yeah. can't do it. I hate listening to past podcasts of my own. I think it's just an inherently weird thing to do. But mm-hmm. like listening to others, happy to. And, and yours were good. They, they aged well, just so you know. Yeah, Bushy and Adam were excellent. <laughs> oh, come on. Give yourself some credit. You you really were the one running that show. <laughs> but um, good to have you on. Why don't we start to hear a little bit about your journey where, where you grew up mm-hmm. um, and what sort of drew you into the world um, that you're in today? Okay, well, back to the origin story. Mm. <laughs> so I grew up in Glasgow in Scotland in the 80s, um, in the suburbs. My mum had a cafe. She had a cafe for 25 years. So it was a good way for me to make friends. I could take people home on the bus and then we could go and eat cake. <laughs> what did you serve in the cafe? Was there, was coffee a thing back then? Oh, yeah. So we used to make coffee, really comedy coffee. And it was £1.25 for a cappuccino. So we'd fill the milk up in the morning, boil it to death every time someone wanted a <laughs> cappuccino. Never, And then just top it up and keep boiling it. So... <laughs> When you come to Melbourne and look at the way they make coffee, it's like, yeah, we had a coffee machine in the 80s, but had absolutely no idea how to use it. Would you still like referentially call it coffee? Like oh, in, yeah. Yeah. It's, Glaswegian it was, coffee. It was just Glaswegian coffee. Yeah. That's was how you do it. Yeah. So Glasgow in the 80s was a massive time of change. I remember, you know, being young and going to England to see my cousins and they'd be like, you're from Glasgow, you know, everyone gets stabbed up there, which, <laughs> you know, partly was true. It was very, quite violent. Yep. But in the 80s and 90s, there was a massive renaissance in Glasgow. City of culture, um, lots of design stuff, and the city really changed. There was loads of investment into the public realm, the buildings. And it turned, you know, from kind of drab and depressing into really beautiful and vibrant. And the people in Glasgow are just brilliant and yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes think back on that time and think, did watching that change happening in Glasgow inspire me to go into urban design and landscape and try and you know bring that joy and sense of connection through my work mm-hmm. that I saw actually could happen and have a tangible positive impact on people's lives. Maybe. I'm not sure. I was going to ask you what's your conclusion. So you, <laughs> I, was that rhetorical? Or? Well, yeah, I'm still thinking. So <laughs> I, I firstly started out studying product design yep. um, at Glasgow School of Art and spent a lot of time at the art school, going to techno gigs, um, but oh, also yeah, there's a good scene back then. There, oh, hey? such a good yeah. scene, yeah, and the arches and having lots of fun. Um, but I remember getting kind of halfway through my product design degree and thinking, I'm not sure I'm interested in learning about the aesthetics of products yep. and making more stuff. Yep, I feel like there's enough. There's enough and stuff. There's enough stuff. Let's just like stop with the stuff. Yeah. Start with the stuff. And why aren't we making stuff you can fix? Yeah. Why are we making stuff that is designed to So you were thinking a little fail? bit about sort of like reuse, recycling, upcycling yeah. at that stage even? I was. And I did my final dissertation on, I guess, the circular economy or what it would be known as now. Yeah. But I always had this niggling feeling that we have enough stuff. I'm not sure product design's for me. And I remember my tutor once turning to me after, rather than designing a product, I designed this like meeting room and landscape and he's like Kate you are not a genius (laughs) okay okay but then luckily I discovered this other thing called landscape architecture 
And at that time in Scotland, education was free, so you could change your mind and go and keep studying for ages. Oh my God. Yeah. Sounds like early Australia. Those were the days. So I turned my attention from product design after working as a furniture designer for a little while and went back and studied landscape architecture and thought, this is brilliant because you have the opportunity to impact the way people feel about their own landscape, their neighbourhood, help to design places that help people feel connected to one another, feel connected to nature and ultimately have a positive impact. I think it's just a fascinating um, idea, the idea of people connecting through a connection to place, like mm. a common connection to place that has a purpose too. Yeah. Um, and, and like urban design, even just thinking about my own neighbourhood, like how some of the newer parks are not really like just parks because that doesn't really work that well with how people operate unless you're going to a park intentionally. There's sort of like this gap between the train station and the shops. It's like this lovely urban sprawl, kids' playground, like amphitheatre kind of vibe and – yeah, there's an occasional stabbing, but it is lovely. You know? Yeah, and it's it's amazing the difference that can have yep. on the sense of pride and belonging to our community. It makes me feel great about my suburb for yeah, some reason. Of course it does. Yeah. And I worked in that for a long time in the UK and Australia, thinking about how do we bring better landscape design, better landscape architecture, urban design into places to help people you know, make better decisions day to day around how they move around so you can walk and you can cycle. And if you do that, you actually bump into people and make connections. Yes. Because, you know, we've got a loneliness epidemic as oh, well. Oh, yeah. And like the the idea of like um, sort of semi-intentional connections or collisions mm. it has become very popular. Like you made a comment when you came in about the co-work space and how they're just everywhere. Mm. Well, like part of it's that. I mean, like you know, it's the idea There's a lot of um, solopreneurs and freelancers here as well as officers, but the truth is that if you're working on stuff that is your own stuff and you don't have colleagues, it's very lonely to be at home. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you don't realise how damaging loneliness is. It has a cycle or physiological impact on your body. Does it like a pack of cigarettes a day? Well, I mean, that's a physical imp- – yeah, it does. It has that same detrimental impact to your body. Yeah. and We could analogise that to the mental health impact. Well, that's be. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, completely. And it's getting worse. And good urban design can help because it can help you have those incidental connections and get you out and about. Yeah, I, I love, like, even how they design parks and playgrounds now so that, like, you can – like, you're doing stuff, but you're always around other people and conversations and – you know, even in my community, like there's this dog group that goes to the park every day at 4.45 that I've just fallen into um, <laughs> because that's when I'm free. And then turns out they have a WhatsApp group. I haven't got into that yet. But oh, you will. I kind of want to be involved. I like being in WhatsApp groups. Yeah, I'm, me I'm too. Like, yeah, like I don't, I'm not that like active all the time, but I like to just, I like the connect, the feeling of connection. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. does. It just gives you that little buzz of connection. It makes you feel a bit safer. 100% and just like connected to community. And so, yeah, it's quite funny just that idea of like how that, that place-based connection forms and then the rituals around that and then, you know, the digital aspect. So you layer on the digital connection and then you've got something really going. Yeah. Yeah, but there's nothing you can't beat that geographical connection where you're Absolutely. actually having face to face chats with people, especially after COVID. Yeah, yes, and that's, that's part of the reason actually with the podcast why I don't like doing remote podcasts. So a lot of people will say they're in Melbourne and they'll say, "Oh, can we um, do it on Zoom?" And I say, "I said, why? Like, is, wouldn't that be boring for both of us?" Yeah, but but I guess some people enjoy that. Yeah, um, and it's practical as well. Yeah, the, the practicality of not having to park near here would be good. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, Cremorne, it's got lots going for it, but accessibility is not one of them. <laughs> the Shire of Cremorne. So how did you get into um, Greeting the Apocalypse and your, your time in radio? So I actually can't remember. I remember going to Adam Grubb's house and having a, a garden dinner and he mentioned it. And I was trying to remember how I met Adam. And I think he's it, a he's a uh, media personality or podcast host. He would hate being called a media personality. No, he's not. He's a he's a well, I guess he's a scientist. Yeah, yeah. He was um he's a very intellectual, wonderful person. Yep, yep. He's uh very into Don't tell him I called him a media personality <laughs> by accident then, please. <laughs> he's he does weed walks in Brunswick and he's very clever. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds well, good. He takes people for walks around the Mary Creek and tells them about weeds and which ones you can eat. Oh, that's cool. I'd love to do that. Yeah, I think he's still I don't know if he still does them. Um and I think I maybe met him through the three thousand acres, which I can tell you about. Do you know that's what that is? That's a really big place. <laughs> so when I, I'd been at university in Leeds studying urban design this time, I've been back to uni a few times um, and I ha- got an allotment. And in the UK, if you want to grow your own food somewhere, you can just go to the council and say, I want an allotment. And if there's enough of a group, I think it has to be nine people, then they have to find you somewhere. That, that's just very much like pre-private property, just like yeah, well, there's you know, so many the, more, the idea of the commons. Well, that's right. And there's yeah. so many more common spaces in the UK. Yep. So I had this amazing allotment and um, it was brilliant. I had access to all these diversity of age people and you know people I would never normally become friends with as a so student it's a common um it's a common area, area yep. Yep. that's divided into little sections mm-hmm. with no fences and then you're responsible for your little section so i was growing all of these it's actually how i met my husband as well um growing Brilliant vegetables. Do not tell me he was another person growing something else near you in the allotment and that's how you met. Because that that would be fantastic. I met him in a pub, but I really (laughs) wanted to build a shed. Okay, this is a different story. (laughs) And I was like, oh, can you come and help me build a shed out of pallets on my allotment? Yeah. And he said yes. And that was that. (laughs) Like 20 years ago. (laughs) That's not where I thought that was going, but that's great. Although that shed blew down and it was mortifying because it blew into my neighbor's allotment and squashed all of their vegetables. But you're still together? We're still together. So that's a win. (laughs) Yes. Call it a win. So I was really proud of my allotment. I loved the community. Loved that I've met, you know, old people, different people, not just my student friends in Leeds. So when I arrived in Melbourne, I was living in uh, Fitzroy. And I saw allotments across the road as part of the housing estate. And I was like, awesome, I can go there, get my allotment back. But then I realised it's not like that in Australia. It's actually yeah. quite difficult to find somewhere to grow food. You call it like a community garden or Community yep. garden, yeah. Yep. But there's not many of them and there's often long waiting lists. Yep. So I found this project in New York called 596 Acres, which mapped underutilised land, which could potentially become commons. Um, and then they created a toolkit to help people access that land to grow so food cool. on. Yep. So me and a group of others decided we'd try and replicate that in Melbourne. Um, and that's what became 3,000 Acres. So it was a project to get more people growing more food in more places. Yeah. Um, so we ran that for eight, nine years or something yep. and just recently merged with Ceres. So it's oh, still wow. going just under the banner of Ceres. Wow. And there's maybe, I think we got... And Ceres is going great. Oh, I mean, Ceres is top, amazing. Top social enterprise. But I think we ended up with 30-odd extra community gardens around Victoria. 
with lots of gorgeous new connections. That's and something to hang work. your head on, gee. Oh, I mean, I had a small part to do with it. The volunteers and yeah. other people were just, you know, it was a much, very much a collaborative effort. You ever think back to your teacher saying, Kate, you're not a genius? And then that happened and, you know, you kind <laughs> of, like, maybe you are. <laughs> Carlos, who's from Peru. I think he meant to say, you know, you don't have to solve all yeah, the problems yeah, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Just design a bag. Well, Carlos didn't see this coming. I bet you was, uh, you know doubting himself now and his instincts. <laughs> that, that's really cool. So you did that and, and was that kind of, um, does that steer you towards SV or where does that journey begin? Oh, SV. So, so well, before Sustainability Victoria, mm. I was working at the city of Melbourne yep. um, and I ended up there because I was working in private practice as a landscape architect, urban oh, designer fantastic. Yep. at Planosphere, another great, wonderful business. Um and I really wanted to know what it was like in government yeah, because lots of yeah, the work. Yeah, the same itch. Yeah, right? Yeah. You want to know like how like how do they make these decisions, like yeah. about allotments and other things. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. And from the outside, it just seems mysterious. Yeah. And then when you're inside, it's equally mysterious. <laughs> I don't like it. So, <laughs> you don't have to comment on that. <laughs> so I was in private practice, um, looked at the city of Melbourne from the outside and thought they're doing some really interesting things. Um, and there was a woman, Emma Appleton, who I'm friends with, um, who had been at CABE in the UK. And I always loved what CABE had been doing. So I was watching what Emma was doing at the city and thought, oh, if there's ever a job there, I kind of fancy it going in. And a job came up in uh, in city strategy, working on renewal areas and wow. transport and blah, blah, blah. So I thought, I'm going to go and give it a go. So I went to the city and it was brilliant. I loved it. It was exciting, ambitious, taught me loads about... It's been a great place to work. They actually like, you know, government varies a lot, but I think COM's got a great rep. Yeah, there's amazing people there, mm. really good projects. Yeah. It's quite intense. Yeah. But I love the accountability of it because yeah. you had to go and present to the community, um, present to councillors, so your evidence base had to be solid. Yeah. You had to have a really good story yeah, about why you were doing it. your ideas actually had to be good yeah. and like not just like, you know, <laughs> bureaucratic nonsense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we did lots of amazing stuff at the city of Melbourne um the team did things like protecting sunlight to open space in winter so wow. if you can imagine you know trying to explain sun angles and why it's important to get vitamin d oh well that's fascinating mm. I mean, I'm, I'm i'm actually that makes me proud of our government doing that because i think you know one of the things i always try and do especially in winter is to make sure i'm near sunlight and you mm. know you'd know that being from scotland and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's good for your body. Oh, you just need it. You, need, you need to get the you need to get the rays. Oh, you do. It's um, really important. Yeah, for your it's health. much much better than actually taking it um, endogenously as well. Yeah, that's right. And you can imagine how that impacts building heights. Yes, and then how that impacts property owners and yeah. land values. So there's all those really interesting things at play. Um, and then there was other projects like the transport strategy, so trying to turn the street over to a more equitable share of space yeah. so there's more space for bikes. Walking bikes, yeah. Yes, and of course you saw what happened when all those bike um, paths were introduced during COVID. Yeah. Lots of people thought, that's my space. What's a bike lane doing there? Um, but I just loved those discussions around what's public benefit yep. versus what's private benefit yep. and what's right for the city and what should we be doing. Yeah, and, and that seems to be so directly linked to your kind of upbringing and especially like with the the, the allotment and mm. like kind of your ideas around that. Yeah, yeah. Like that kind of critical distribution between like public and private goods really. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important to keep an eye on the public benefit. Yes. Because public benefit lasts, private benefit is fleeting. And once it's, to it's gone, it's gone. It's individuals use. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Mm. That's Fi right. Finite versus, you know, replenishing maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I love my time at um, City of Melbourne, but I was also getting really interested in leadership and what a good leadership looked like and um, thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I did Williamson, which we spoke about at that dinner. Oh, yes. That was our kind of like our different like click moment point. Yep. Yeah. So Williamson Community Leadership Program, mm. which is this awesome one-year-long leadership it's, oh. it's really great that you're plugging it because it's the last week of our sponsorship with LV. So oh, please, please go on. I'll put this in the intro. Go, go ahead. Yeah. So I found it very life-changing, yeah. actually. It was the first time I'd ever thought about myself. You know, what am I like? Yeah. What drives me? How do people see it? How do I see myself? Yeah. yeah. And it was. I felt like it was very indulgent to spend all that time thinking about what I'm like as a leader, but yeah. then also very transformational. Well, yeah. So the way I justified that was like, yes, but like you're trying to lead to have a greater social impact and purpose. <laughs> yes. So you're actually doing it to try and be a better contributor to community. Yeah. And and for me, that was like kind of got me over the selfishness hump of it all. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. And, you know, remember doing those things yeah. around privilege and understanding your own privilege and then feeling that duty to kind of give back because of that. And I had a baby halfway through Williams and Charlie. And I remember taking him to Canberra and we went to meet all the politicians. And you were, were you 2018? 2018, yeah. Yeah, so the year before me. Yes. Amazing, yeah, yeah, And Charlie does a massive poo on Pauline Hanson's floor. <laughs> 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 he was classic. Uh, what the Brilliant, brilliant course. If anyone listening has the opportunity to do Williamson, yeah. I would highly recommend it, but it was very transformational for me. You've had um, some really good moments with both politicians and media personalities. We'll get to the latter <laughs> later, but yeah. <laughs> um, so... So that was a big moment for your leadership journey. And oh, yeah. what did it what did that make you realize? Like cuz often Williamson's a time where you do all this exploration, it's pretty full on, and then it's like, okay, I'm getting to the end. What does the, you know, relatively transformed me take itself now? Yeah. So I think I I'd, I'd already very happily worked in purpose aligned, values aligned organizations. Right. Right. Yeah. So for me it was just being much more conscious about me as a leader and making sure yeah. that Oh, everyone that I was working with and who were working for me were having a good experience. I knew how to develop them. I knew how to um, pass on what I'd learned around things like, you know, feedback and psychological safety and all those types of things yep. to my team. But it did make me think I want to go and lean into leadership in a space that I don't have a technical background in, Yeah, which was why I made the decision to go to SV. Yeah. So... I moved to Sustainability Victoria to a role in strategic foresight. So very long-term thinking and data, which, I mean, I've been doing long-term thinking in a city sense because the structure plans and things that we were working on at the city of Melbourne were 20, 30 years. I'm sure that put you in a good position to, yeah. to get the role, yeah. But it was much more focused on energy, circular economy, sustainability. Mm. So different topics. Uh, different people who are attracted to that environment, much more technical versus design. Yeah. So very different leadership challenges. Um, and it was, yeah, it was quite difficult at the beginning, and I learned a lot about myself. Again, like, <laughs> like um, Williamson, but Claire Ferris Miles, who is my boss at SV, was just brilliant. You know, she's all about a growth mindset. I've been yeah. very lucky to have lots of very good mentors. Yeah. Um, who you work for matters so much, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. You know, at Planosphere, I had Mike and Lisa, who were just 
fabulous, very values driven. What very... do they say about you as like an, an employee? Because you, you strike me as like very different, like in a really <laughs> great way. Like, do, what do they convey back to you about your style and approach? Oh, what do they love about having you? They love uh, to mention how enthusiastic I am. Yep. I remember Claire once giving me some feedback about a job that I didn't get. And she was like, Kate, I just want to say thank you for just being yourself. <laughs> you didn't get the role, but thank you for being yourself. Had, and I was like, like kind okay. Of like great compliment, but. <laughs> like, okay, well, you know, I think it's, I, I think I just have to be the way that I am. Yep. And either I can't mold myself to fit, yeah. I have to go to an Isn't environment. Isn't that a liberating choice? Like, it's almost a non choice, but isn't it liberating? Like, what? to just be a unified self? I don't think I ever made that conscious decision. I just can't imagine not doing it. Yeah, I, I had to at, at a point. I was like, I, I still grapple with it sometimes and I, I don't think I'm like, um, sometimes my wife will say to me, oh, um, we've got this thing on tonight. Can you just be about 70% Mike? <laughs> and I saw sort of like turning the volume dial down a little bit and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get I get that what that means now. Like just don't be too outrageous and sort of be between the lines a little bit. But sometimes I just really like being 100% Mike and I, I'm not there yet. I think you have to be. I think you can't be happy if you're not. Yeah. And I think you have to be able to be in an environment. That's why I'm really interested in psychological safety. Yes. So if you're not yeah. in a psychological safe environment, you cannot bring your total self to work. It might, the most I've ever got up to in, in the mic volume scales, probably like 80%, 85% mm. in a workplace. But then the energy that you're using to suppress that 20%, I feel is wasted. It's a lot. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a lot. And it's tiring. Yeah, it's, it is tiring. Look, you're spot on. You're spot on. But anyway, this is not a about me and my issues. This part, this is not. It's just ther- no. This is not therapy. Sorry. Let, let's get back to you. So thank you for being you, which is good, and that's stayed with you. Yeah, yeah. We had a good chat afterwards, and I was like, I need. Yeah, I, I absolutely have to be in a values aligned organization where I can be myself. Then I can focus all my energy yeah. into being a good leader, thinking about strategy, thinking about what we're trying to do with the organization. So do you, so to make sure that's the case, do you weed out roles where like the hiring process like or doesn't feel right? Because you know how the job is never really the job and like mm. how do you know that you're going to get a manager that like is going to enable that? Well, I don't think you do. It just, it's just been fortunate for you that you have had those opportunities where yeah. you can be full, Kate. Yeah, yeah. I mean – yeah, back in the day when I was working in en- with engineers doing road design, I found that very difficult. Yeah. Um, but it was few and far between. Yeah. I think what, been, per- what percentage, Kate, were you with working with road engineers? Oh, probably just 100%, but it didn't go down very well. <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. So what do, you, what do you take away from the SV experience? How was it? Oh, again, amazing. What did I take away? The, the value of culture. And thinking about how to create a culture that enables you to deliver the strategy that you're trying to deliver. So, you know, delivering a circular economy in Victoria meant total economic transformation. So we had to try and create a, a culture that allowed people to be brave and make mistakes. And I remember when I first started, I was trying to get people to talk about their ideas. You know, what what have you noticed? What do you think we should do? And people were nervous about giving ideas and talking about it. And I think we needed to work on the culture to create a safer space so yep. people could really talk about their ideas and talk about what was working and what wasn't working. So did the idea of psychological safety come up in LV for you a little bit, like as a sort of important theme? Yes, yeah. And we did a lot of work around culture at the City of Melbourne and at um, and at SV and used a specific method that gave you a shared language around 
psychological safety and the culture that you were yep. trying to create, yep. which was helpful to have the shared language because then everybody knew what the end goal was culture-wise. Yep. Um, and we had a leadership team who really wanted to kind of live and breathe that. So that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And so it worked? I mean, it's a slow process changing culture. And gov- state government's an interesting place because there is a culture around the whole state. Yep. And there's a big hierarchy at play in state government. So you've got your central agencies, then you have the big departments, and then your little agencies at the side. Yeah. So you've got to navigate that. I think what I always, like, as I said to you at the dinner, like, I think you landed in such a good pocket, like mm. SV, uh, you know, City of Melbourne. And then, you know, the other one that I really like is Vic Health. And Sandra has been on the podcast before. Oh, has he? You just sort of think, like, they're, you know, you've got to try and find, like, the most independent kind of government bodies that kind of are allowed to have their own interesting culture. Yeah, yeah, and there's, there, such, there's a permissiveness there, sort of. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of amazing people across government. Yeah, but I do find it interesting when lots of amazing people get into a place that then impacts the norms, the societal norms, and what you can do and what you can't do. Um, and I definitely saw that at play in some pockets of the state government. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, big organisations, corporates, it's the same. Oh, look, you know, cult- culture is a challenge everywhere. Mm. I-, I think, you know, that's one thing that I've learned. Like, you know, there are no perfect cultures. Each no. each culture has its own unique challenges and opportunities. That's right. But um, so SV, a good experience. And in, in more recent times, transition. Yeah. So I'm in a new role now. Some of my friends joke with me. They're like, is your hobby just applying for jobs? <laughs> and (laughs) I stay at places for years. I I don't think that's very fair at all. That's like much more my hobby than yours, I would say. But Mm. I do like change. So I've just started a new role with the um, United Nations Global Compact, so the network that's here in Australia. So out of government completely, into a not-for-profit, working with businesses, which I'm really excited about because businesses can move on sustainability issues really quickly and can have enormous impact. Yeah, I have thought that. I think business can really drive the change, and I think this is something we've we've heard for a little while. I mean, you know, social enterprise, the B Corp movement, there, there's certainly catalytic forces at play around that idea. For you, what was the decision-making around that move to uh, focus on businesses to the driver of that change versus sort of state government? So I've always been interested in how change is created. Yeah. And that was another reason I wanted to go to the city. So I was thinking, how does local government create change? Yep. And I loved learning about how the councillors influence change and how you get things up through that process and mm-hmm. then finally out and approved and delivered. Yep. Um, so then I wanted to go to state government to think about, well, how do you enact, enact that change on a state level through state government powers, legislation, policy? And that was an amazing learning experience at SV as well. And then I thought, <laughs> we need to create change faster. Yeah. This is too slow. How do, and then I was watching businesses and some of the quick movers in business can create enormous change yeah, it's, and it's have pretty, ripple effects through sectors. They do through, a lot. It's amazing the impact, oh, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So Supply I was looking, chains as well. Exactly. And the influence you can have. I mean, state government is the biggest procurer, mm. so they can have an enormous impact on supply chains, yeah. but as obviously can business. Yeah. So I wanted my next move to be into either the corporate sector or interacting with business in some way. Yeah. And then this rule came up and I thought, well, that's actually, that'll be really interesting because it covers human rights, labor, 
um, anti-bribery and corruption, yeah. environment and climate change. Yeah. And it's an enormous breadth for yeah. an organization it's to cover. Lot. It's a huge amount um, of stuff. Yes. But we partner with business um, to deliver on the objectives and the education and the networking that we're trying to do. And the conversations I've been having with our members, we call them participants so far, has been really illuminating yeah. around some of their challenges yep. and what this the UN Global Compact can offer them. Yeah. How many um, members are there of the Global Compact? In so globally, there's twenty twenty thousand ish, and yep. I think that reaches into eighty five million plus employees. Wow! With you know huge emissions profile. Yep. In Australia, there's three hundred so far, but I'm hoping to grow that. So any businesses out there who want to join, come along. Yeah, you got your time for the call to action at the end, but you've <laughs> just burnt that early. So no, that, that's good. Yep. Come along. 300 is a pretty good start. It's a great start. And we've got some fantastic businesses, lots of the top 20 ASX and then loads of SMEs across many sectors. So you've got some really big players involved. Yeah. So it's really like the, the, the energy, the interest and the momentum is there. It is definitely there. Definitely. And the, what, what are you hearing? What are your members saying at the moment? Oh, lots. So <laughs> um, lots of interest in the NAC, so the new um, anti-corruption federal body. Yep. And we had a session with the Commissioner Brereton last week talking about what the NAC's going to look like. And the NAC will go to supply chains. So anyone that's supplying to government will be impacted by that anti-corruption. Um, well, that's great news. That's great news. And I think the corporates were really interested to find that out. So, and lots of things that can be done in anti-bribery and corruption. And before I went to that seminar, or we call them dialogues. Um, That's much more fun than seminar. Dialogues. I'm going to start doing that as well. I don't think I appreciated how foundational anti-bribery and corruption is. Because if your business, your country can get away with corrupt behavior, bribery, then you move towards that individualistic behavior. You move away from the commons, away from collective good. Yeah. And it's much more difficult to deliver on climate change, yeah. human rights. Your, your purpose through line is just so strong and like high fidelity. It's really interesting. <laughs> it's like everything comes back to moving towards like public or commons ownership models versus individualism, which is yeah. very like, yeah, it must, it must, um, I imagine like it'd be quite easy for you to make decisions around your career and sort of what to do next. And, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think underlying all that is nature, Yeah, like connection to nature, restoring yeah. nature. Yes. Yeah. Remembering that us as humans are actually part of nature. And just a very temporary speck yeah. in, in the overall picture. And not separate from it. Yeah. And we can't keep taking, taking, taking. We've yeah. got to stop yeah. and do things a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, so what was I talking about? The anti-bribery and corruption so the stream NAC. and the yep. NAC. Yeah, so the businesses are very interested in what the, how that's going to roll out and it's just started. Um, lots of interest around scope three emissions and supply chain mm. and how to really get your head around scope three. Yep. So that's the emissions that you don't really control um, throughout the supply chain. So trying to have a better oversight of things that you are in your chain, but you don't have direct control over. That's right. That's what scope three is. Yeah. yeah. So businesses are trying to figure out how to measure that impact. And yeah, it's very it's difficult because often supply chains are long, complex, non-transparent. Yes. Yeah. Um, hard to get the information. And, very hard. Yeah. Yep. Very hard. So that's, that's an area that we need to look at. The other one's nature. So businesses understanding their impact on nature and how they can be more restorative to nature. Yep. Thinking about uh, degradation restoration and circular economy of course is another one so 
maybe people don't know what that is, but we currently have a linear economy where you take something, you buy something, you use it, you throw it out. And we can't continue to do that because we're going to no. run out of stuff. It's too very, much waste, too, too much, much stuff. Waste. Landfill, want to get stuff out of landfill. So we're moving much more towards a circular economy, which is keeping materials at their highest value for mm. as long as possible. Ideally, at the beginning, not using things at all or reusing, repurposing, and then designing things very differently so they can be fixed. Am I in the circular economy? Because I wear mostly the same clothes. <laughs> I don't have many, I have two pairs of jeans that are the same. And I um, I wear a lot of my T-shirts until they get holes in them. And That's I, a great example I, of being very frugal, yeah. yes. Yeah, I, well, I, I prefer circular economy to frugal. <laughs> but um, yeah, Louise doesn't like it, my wife particularly, but um, I just say that I'm in the circular economy is my kind of defense. <laughs> you yeah. are. You're in it. You're living yeah, the circular I have the, economy. I have the special reusable cup. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, you do. You do. I have some more birds. <laughs> <laughs> but there's often a misconception that the circular economy is just about, you know, yeah, recycling. Know. Yeah, I'm being a little bit trivial with that kind of reusable cup example. No, but it's, there's, there's a lot more to it. Well, it's behavior change individually yes, as well. Yeah. So that, that can, yeah. Uh, look, I think of it as like a gateway drug. So once you start with the um, realizing the potential that you have to create change in small, easy ways, that's a really good touch point to doing more. So yes. it starts with the cup, then it's the shoes, then it's where am I getting my T-shirts, then it's like, where, am I, where am I getting my power from, and then, then you just go crazy yeah. eventually. Well, yeah, if you think about where you're spending your money, that is a really good place to start. And um, we had a good campaign at SV called Small Act, Big Impact Sabby. Um, and that has a little calculator, if you go on that website, the Savvy website, that will tell you what's the easiest change that you can make yeah. to move towards know, I think less it, um, impact. It's often banking and super, isn't it? Banking and super it's is like a good one. really low-hanging fruit that people don't think about. Like how easy it is to just switch to like our future super, I was ethical, one of those guys, and change your bank to one that's you know, a little bit more um, doing the right stuff. It's just so easy. You yeah. just have to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it, yes. Big impact. Big imp, small big act, impact. big impact. <laughs> Savvy, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, it's, it's really cool. It's amazing stuff. And so you're hearing about all this sort of stuff and circular economy, I mean, where, where like it seems to me as somebody who's sort of a bit on the periphery, I have an interest in climate tech. Um, I invest a little bit in climate tech and I also just have a big interest in circular economy businesses and, and how they operate. It seems like a booming sort of sector. Oh, there's so many cool things happening. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, look, I always, because I'm obsessed with coffee, even that alone is like its own subsector of mm. circular economy growth. Yeah, right? it's such an amazing opportunity for startups. Yeah. Um, we used to fund loads of SV. So yeah. there was... Um, Ugly fruit going into jams. Yep. There was avocado leather, mushroom yep. packaging. Um, I think I've of, used the mushroom packaging. Yeah. Excellent. And you can eat the stuff that you don't send as well. Yeah. You can't. Don't do that. But. And great wrap, potato starch, yes. cling film. We had Julia on the podcast a few months ago. Yeah, she's yeah. cool. And lots and lots of opportunity for disruption. Yep. And what I love seeing is the stuff that's inspired by nature. So the yep. biomimicry kind yes. of products coming out. And I recently did this amazing course at Harvard. Yeah. I want to spruik because it was so good. Yeah, do it. Um, it was called Executive Education for Sustainability Leadership Online yep. at Harvard. And they talked about change and how to create sustainability through um, analysing forensically how you'd done it in the past. Wow. Not just saying, she, Leith, who ran it, used to say, that sustainability change is not a line, it's a squiggle, but often the stories that you'll tell about it is a line. So Yes, I feel the same way about careers and LinkedIn. 
You know <laughs> yes. that thing where you look at somebody's career or CV or LinkedIn and it looks like very linear? Like because, mm. you know, in in the, the once we're at a certain point, we just sort of reverse engineer things to sound like it's a very clean story. But then, you know, as you were living it, it was totally bumpy. Yeah. It was squiggly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's unhelpful to tell the story of the line because then yes. the next person who tries it will be like, why is this so hard? It's kind of like why I like this podcast because you get the texture. So yeah. I'm not that interested in straight lines or straight line people. Yeah. Um, and they're not that interesting, to be honest. <laughs> like, I did this, then I did that, then I did that. And, Great. Okay. Yeah. Good, good talk. Yeah, so apply that same concept of this podcast, but to sustainability projects. So you'd have these brilliant people come back and dissect everything that went wrong and why it went wrong. And then they codified it all into thinking about different types of um, hierarchical structures and how you use the formal hierarchy and how you use an adaptive network and when you use each and be very conscious about when you're switching. Um. But the part of the course was also to do with biomimicry mm. and how we can harness the amazing power of nature to think about how we design, how we make decisions, how we have much less impact on um, nature and on the world. Wow. Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, really interesting. Really interesting. Hey, so I wanted to ask you, um, what is the tourist test and why should we take it? Oh, so... I think the best thing to do is Google the tourist test, but there's a series of questions that Claire Dunn, this amazing woman, um, she calls herself the nature's apprentice uh, online. She runs a lot of brilliant courses. And I was at an event recently where Claire was talking to us about myths and stories. And at the end of that, she asked us a series of questions that she called the tourist test. And there were things like... They were trying to figure out how much you were aware of your natural environment. So she asked things like, what's the first bird song you hear in the morning? Um, What's your local native tree called? What are your local mammals called? Where does your water come from? Where does it go? Um, What phase is the moon at? So a series of questions like that. And, you know, some of them I could get no problem. I just happened to have been um, to the Werribee Sewage Farm, which is a big oh uh, it's great yeah just surrounded by dump yeah nothing but it's, like it it's it's a ramsar wetland i think so there's all of these mm. amazing bird life and it talks about how the water is treated when and how long it takes to get from your shower through to um these big ponds that they keep them in down in um, Werribee. so i knew where the water went wasn't 100 percent sure where it came from yep. um had no idea what cycle the moon was in. And, you know, all of my chat about loving being connected to nature, I yeah. could hardly answer any of Claire's questions. That's like a really cool thing to say now, like how connected you are to nature. Yeah. Like a lot of people want to say that. Like <laughs> uh, I just got back from a two-day hike in nature and I'm really connected to nature. Yeah, you know? yeah, really connected. But Claire wrote this amazing book called My Year Without Matches where she spent a year of like, immersed in nature and she had to you know catch her own food okay so that's like a lone australia that's a bit more legit yeah i like that yeah i would read that what's that book called it's called my year without matches by claire dunn okay um i just think the work that she does is brilliant um and she also talks she i think she wrote another book about how to connect with nature when you're not out in the bush but when you're in an urban setting or you know in thornbury or whatever um, so yes, Google Claire Dunn, Nature's Apprentice, and read her books and take the tourist test. She's Done. very cool. Claire Dunn. D U N N. Yeah, and and what was that book called? Sorry, one more time. It was My Year Without Matches. I, and yeah. she wrote a second one. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe like 
I'm just asking you specifically now because I'm going away tomorrow and I really want something good to read or listen to. So hopefully she's got an audiobook version. Oh, I'm not to sure. To find out. Yeah, highly recommend that book though. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's great. Um, so what was it like telling Neil Mitchell to eat a possum? <laughs> you, you knew it was coming. <laughs> so <laughs> I was on Neil Mitchell's show ages ago talking about urban agriculture and he was asking me, well, what happens when, you know, the birds come and eat the fruit or possums come and eat the fruit? And I said, like, well, you know, you could capture the possum and you could kill it and you can eat it. And he's like, you know that they're protected. You cannot eat possums. And I was thinking, I can't believe I've just said that on <laughs> national radio. This Scottish idiot coming to Australia and telling them to eat the possums. Well, how'd you play it? Did you backtrack? No. <laughs> you just went all in. I think, I think I went all in and just tried to have to, I can't remember. Yeah, you can. I don't think you're up to date with the latest uh, legislative changes. i got to go. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, that's great. Look, you've mentioned so many interesting things today, and I think um, we're going to have some lengthy show notes for this one. But how can people connect with you, learn more about your work, and also the UN Global Compact? Um, so probably I'm, I've am i deleted all my social media apart from LinkedIn. Because you're so connected to nature? No, because <laughs> because Instagram was making me buy things. Oh, I hate yeah, like I, don't, the, I don't do Instagram. Oh, the, the rhythm, what's it called? The um, algorithm. algorithm was so yeah. good yep. that it was showing me all this stuff. Yep. And I ended up buying a three-sided hammock. Oh, we've all been there. Why did I buy that? And I was thinking, how am I going to find three perfectly positioned trees to attach this hammock to? Why have I bought this? <laughs> yep. And then I bought something else. That's why I'm banned from late night oh, television. A wood chopper that was, <laughs> like, we already had an axe, but I brought, bought this wood chopper that you, it was like a circular thing that you put the wood in and then you like hit it. And I bought that and all oh, these things. Like, and then oh, I was like, a gun rack. I didn't even have a gun. The wood chopper was quite good, but it got to a stage where I was thinking, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm so susceptible to its algorithms. Yeah. It needs to go. So the best way to find you is on LinkedIn and not Instagram? Best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Sometimes I undelete Instagram. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, Kate Dundas on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, the unglobalcompact.org.au online. What's, do you want to just replay that quick, awesome, spicy call to action around the UNGC? Yes. So the UNGC is the world's largest corporate sustainability initiative. We take businesses wherever they are in their sustainability journey and help them move forward to whatever that looks like for them in any sector, any size of business. And we do that through education, connecting them with one another and leading the conversation. And reach out to Kate now. No. Now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for your time. It was fun. Yeah. Always fun chatting to community radio pros. The best. (laughs) Pros, hardly. (laughs) Thanks, Kate. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.